we thank you for holy moments like these. Pastor Shane called them thin places last week, where the Celtic people said the distance between heaven and earth got close. And we pray that over the next 25 minutes, heaven and earth will get very, very close. And we will say yes to everything you say to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the worship team leading us today? Awesome job. All right, you can have a seat. I think we should sing that song next Sunday. What do you think? Now, my prayer is that you're not going to get to sit where you usually sit yet. All right? And that's going to happen if we all invite a neighbor, a friend, a family member, and extend that hand and extend our open hearts and open lives. So let's do it. Let's see what God does. Um, next week, we're going to quit one more thing because we're celebrating the resurrection. It's risen. I quit not believing. That's a double negative, so it makes a positive. Just work with me, okay? Today, it's I quit complaining. Uh, help me out. What, what are some things people complain about? Shout it out. The weather, when it's too cold on the first day of spring. Yes, yes. What else? Traffic. Yeah, that traffic jab on M15, that'll kill you. You know what I mean? Uh or where that lane goes away on on 69 when you're coming into Davidson. I hate that. Okay, that third lane goes away a mile too soon. But I'm not complaining. What else do people complain about? Money. <laughs> like as in not having enough, right? Um, the, wa the water. The water. Now that's a serious issue for some people, right? Right? So... God's Word says that complaining, which is almost habitual for many of us, most of us, let's be honest, um, it isn't just a minor inconvenience. It isn't just a, you know, sort of a thing we should maybe not do quite so much. It is a serious issue to God. And I believe that the reason it is is because it is an overflow of an inner attitude that is displeasing to God. And what I've learned in my journey with Jesus is that it's one thing to say, maybe I shouldn't complain so much. Or like last week, maybe I shouldn't compare with other people. And I'm going to try not to do it. That's one thing. But when I say, Lord, I get it. It's wrong. Forgive me. Change me. Live through me in such a way that that pattern changes. Because here's what, I, here's what I know. We could all leave here today just as upset and frustrated and annoyed with the world <laughs> and sort of grit our teeth and say, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to complain. And it wouldn't make any real difference. Or we could be the kind of people who say, I don't, I don't want to be that way. I, I don't want to be the kind of person from whom that flows out. You understand the difference? Well, my wife understands the difference, and I'm really glad. Does anybody else? Okay, there's a difference, a huge difference, a very important difference. So 
Let's go through the outline that you have there. Uh, like Pastor Shane said, you can follow along on on uh, version, or you can just take the outline that's there in your hand. The Bible says that there's a difference between grumbling and groaning, and this is huge. Because immediately when I start talking about the the downside of complaining, there are some of us here who say, well, life is hard. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a bad spot right now. I got a really, really bad medical report. I My finances are in bad shape. Um, I lost somebody I love. And you mean I just have to suffer? No. I love that about the Bible. The Bible never says that we should pretend. That we should just kind of, you know, pretend it doesn't hurt or that we're not in a hard place. We can, we can be in a hard place, and it can hurt, and we can let it out. But the way we let it out is what makes all the difference. Because in Scripture, there's this thing called groaning. Life is difficult. I'm in a, a place that's hard for me to even handle. I don't even know what to say about it. And I bring my groaning heart to God in faith. And I lay it out before him, and I say, I don't like this. It hurts. And, I, and this is a mess, and, I, and I'm, I'm frustrated, God. I don't know what to do. I groan before the Lord. And here we see that in the Bible, in the Older Testament. This is actually Stephen, who's about to be stoned to death for his faith. And when he gives his one last sermon, he goes all the way back to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. He talks about Moses. And how Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. And in telling that story, he says this. God said, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their what? And have come down to set them free. God responds to our groaning. There's a, there's a book in the Bible that is filled with five chapters of groaning called Lamentations. The book of Lamentations, chapter 1, I read through it earlier this week. Five times it uses that word groan. The people groaned. The priests groaned. They were groaning before the Lord. You know, and we know what that's like. Groaning is something I do in the face of God, not behind the back of God, not because I'm angry with God, but because there's no place else to go with what I'm experiencing but to him. And I love the fact that God hears and responds to that. Isn't it great to know that God responds to our groaning, that, that it's okay? But there's another side to this, which is grumbling. How long will this wicked community, what's the next word? Grumble against me. I've heard the complaints of these what? <laughs> they had the gift of grumbling, right? They had the gift of grumble, and, and we see it all the way back to Adam and Eve. Remember when they sinned and they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, and God found them, right? And God asked Adam, what, why was he hiding? And what did Adam say? The woman you gave me. <laughs> now, notice Adam had no complaints when God brought Eve in the first place, right? Ooh, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I like this idea, right? 
But now we're in trouble. So it's her fault, and it's your fault, because you made her and you gave her to me. Grumble, grumble, grumble. I love the word grumble because it's onomatopoeia. It sounds like what it is. Like, would you help me? Would you just say the word grumble about eight times over together? Just say it out loud. Grumble. (laughs) Say it again. Say it louder. Now you know why God hates it so much, right? Now you know why God hates it. But because it, it, it's not only is it facing the hard things, that's groaning, but grumbling has this blaming aspect. Like they grumble against God. You groan in the face of God. You grumble behind the back of God. You whisper about it. You say, you say it's like we do with other people. You know, we say, okay to their face, but not so much behind their back. And God says that he does not appreciate, does not respond, does not honor grumblers. In fact, go to the next point in the outline. Complaining offends the heart of God. Let's go to that scripture. This is what we just read about a minute ago, the children of Israel grumbling in the desert. Now the people complain about their hardship in the what? Hearing of the, does the Lord hear it even when you don't want him to, right? You you think he's just kind of quietly saying it. He hears it. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then the fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed the outskirts of the camp. So if you get home from church today and the edge of your lawn is on fire, I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. So what did the children of Israel complain about? Well, one of the big things they complained about was the food. Because, now think about this. They have been slaves in Egypt for decades, centuries, we're told. And God hears their prayer and sends them a deliverer, and he sends them Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says... No, let's do that again. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. No. And so what happens? Ten plagues, right? Miraculously horrid uh, plagues that God inflicts upon them till finally Pharaoh's heart is so hard, he, in the last of these ten plagues from, from God, comes this tragic angel of death. And the firstborn in every house is slain as the angel comes passes through, except for the children of Israel because they have been told to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And when the angel sees the blood of the lamb, the angel passes over. Wow. Their children live. And Pharaoh lets them go. And they are running from the most powerful military force in the world. We know from history that Egyptian army was incredible, virtually invincible. And they run up against this barrier, the Red Sea. And they, they're, they're, they're done. I mean, they're cooked. It's over, right? The army's bearing down on them. They're stuck there. And God does a miracle. Moses holds out his rod, and the Red Sea parts, and they go through on dry ground. 
and to complete the miracle when Pharaoh's army is charging in after them, gets down into that seabed, God lets all the waters come back and the army's destroyed and they survive. And now they're on the other side. And day after day after day, the God of miracles, the God of Israel, every night in the night drops these seeds with these little flaky white seeds from the heavens and they gather all around, they, they land on all around the camp. And in the morning, they wake up and they go out and they pick it up and they look at it and they say, what is it? Which is literally the word manna. Manna literally translated means, what is it? And we don't know what it is. It's like, <coughs> excuse me, heavenly food dropped from heaven. The scripture says it's like a, like a yellowy white flake that they grind and it produces when they pack it and cook it like a cake that tastes like olive oil. And they haven't had to do anything. They didn't plant it. They didn't tend it. God dropped it on them. And what do they do? Manna, manna, manna. I hate this manna. You know, can't we have something other than manna? Now, I don't know if you've ever been as foolish as I've been, but there's been a couple of times when I kind of lost my mind. I got home from work. My wife had something on the table that we had had not too long before. And I was like, well, that again, right? How do you think she felt about it? <laughs> you ungrateful, right? Men, have you ever fired up the grill and cooked up some hot dogs only to have the kids say, I want hot dogs today? What does that do to your spirit? You ungrateful little brats. I mean, come on, right? Really, really. Don't you think that's happening into the heart of God? And He, look at what he's done for them, and look at what they do in return. Oh, my goodness. died on the cross. He rose from the grave. He gave me a new life. He gave me a home in heaven forever. And I worry and complain and grumble. I wonder what that does to the heart of God. So if you follow through with the outline, you'll know that complaining carries negative consequences. In this same passage, if we keep going on, the Lord says that after all this complaining, after all that he's done, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say in the wilderness. Your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land. And God takes this thing seriously. I, I don't know, I don't understand all the mysteries of God. I know he is a good God and a loving God. But I think there are times when God says, enough. Someone told me that a grumbling spirit is like having spiritual bad breath. What, what happens when you come up to somebody and they have like nasty bad breath? What do you do? You're like, <laughs> give me some space here, okay? All right? 
I, I don't get it all, but I know that there are times when God seems to withdraw because of our attitude, because of our response, because of our lack of appreciation, because of the fact that we don't understand and acknowledge all that he has done for us. So what do we do? I mean, what's the upside of this? Well, refusing to complain, I think, is about as strong an evidence of a changed life as anything. When we, when we stop complaining, even when life is hard and we should complain, and we choose not to, I think it reveals that there's something and someone inside us that's bigger and stronger than we are. Quit complaining to become like who? Like Jesus. I mean, do you realize all the hardships Jesus went through? Uh, the book of Philippians tells us that Jesus stepped down from heaven, took on human flesh, suffered, died, down, 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 and yet he never complained. He groaned, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And I, I can't wait to gather with you on Friday night and take the Lord's Supper together. One of my favorite experiences of the year. When we remember the agony that Christ went through on our behalf, that he never grumbled or complained against the Father's will. About a year ago now, I was privileged to serve along with a lot of other people from our church on a trip to Haiti. And we're sending another team soon. Uh, we stayed in some very uh, challenging circumstances. I, I was going to say it was Spartan, but I didn't want to rub it in after yesterday's loss. All right, where was I? <laughs> we stayed in very Spartan circumstances, right? I mean, we were sleeping all the, all the guys in one room, and the girls had a couple of rooms. I don't know why they had a couple of rooms. But anyway, I refused to complain, right? And the food was, the food was, the food was Haitian food and not like ours. And, and we had teenagers with us, right? And uh, I remember one day we were, like, petting the little pet goat that was outside the front gate, lunch the next day, all right, a little goat for lunch, and uh, and here's what I want to say about that, there were moments in that trip when there were like a miraculous sense of God's presence because people chose not to complain, when the human thing to do would be to complain. And I know that we all like to think that our witness for Jesus is strongest when things are going up and to the right and it's all good. And we can witness for him, but I know that our greatest witness is when life is tough. When we're in a tough place. When it would be only natural and normal to complain and we say, I choose a better witness. I want to be like Jesus. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Sorry, I'll go back one. Would you read this out loud with me? Do everything without grumbling or... Let's do that again. Do without... <laughs> okay, we're going to stop right there. Uh, does that say do most things without 
a little complaining. Do do uh, do the majority of things most of the time. No, no. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Let's read the rest. So that you may become children. Awesome. You know, one translation says you'll shine like stars. You'll shine like stars. You shine when you choose joy and thanksgiving. That's where you last fill in. I choose joy and thanksgiving even when life is hard. I don't deny that it's hard. I don't deny my pain. I get to groan. I get to tell God that, that I'm hurt or wounded or sad or disappointed. But I choose not to complain against him because he is so good, because I have been blessed so greatly. Has, does, has anybody here been blessed? Anybody got a place to call home? Anybody got a vehicle that will get you there? <laughs> anybody going to have some good food for lunch today? And you're not going to grumble about it, even if you've had it before this week, right? <laughs> if you're smart, right? You're not going to grumble about it because God is so good. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done for us, we have a whole new life. Eternal life doesn't just happen after we die. It begins the moment we open our hearts to Christ. And I have a new attitude and I have a new spirit. And when I am tempted to grumble and I'm tempted to complain, I say, God, would you change my heart? Would you flow into me and flow out through me? Would you guard my mouth and my words? so that I don't wound or disappoint the people around me. Help me to praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done. Make me like you. I love that. And so here we are on Palm Sunday. And I love the little clip they showed with the actor describing the motivation behind it and how it felt. I think sometimes we become so overly familiar with the Bible stories, we forget the deeper meaning. I mean, think about it. Jesus has lived and loved for these 33 years like no one else has ever lived or ever loved. For the last three years, he's gone public with his ministry. He's taught, and the people, when they heard him speak, said, no one ever taught like this man taught. And he touched the untouchable, and he loved the unlovable. And they were in awe of his life and his ministry, but there were dark forces. The forces of evil that conspired against him. And, you know, just reading the account of that, that kangaroo court, you know, uh, made up, mixed up. They couldn't even get their testimony straight, but they testified against him. And the political powers that be were arrayed against the Son of God. And he let it happen. I love the scripture that says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was coming. And he walked right into it for you and for me. And so I remember what he did. And I remember all he's done. And it wasn't just back then. There came a day when the new life of Jesus Christ purchased on the cross and guaranteed through that empty grave became real for me. 
and I trusted him to forgive me, but he asked me to be my leader and forgiver, and I received a new life. And I have so much to be thankful for. I have so much to bless his name for, to sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So just before the last week, just before all the darkness and all the pain and all the agony, it's been maybe an hour or two when he lets them sing, when he lets them wave the branches, when he receives the praises of his people, and they let it all out, right? Yeah, I mean, just think about this. It isn't going to happen at the cross. It doesn't happen at the empty tomb. It happens on Palm Sunday, and that's where we are right here, right now. So here's how I want to close. I want to give all of us here to whom the Spirit of God has spoken today the chance to say, as Pastor Shane challenged us, Lord, save him. I, I don't mean invite him for the very first time, although that may be what you need to do. But I mean, Lord, save me from a grumbling spirit. Lord, save me from ingratitude. Save me from complacency. Save me from a lack of energy and excitement and praise and thanksgiving because I'm so used to all the good stuff in my life. So would you pray with me? Lord, would you give me a spirit of gratitude and joy? Would you fill my heart with your love and your light so that I can't keep you in, can't be silent? And Lord, when I when I get to worship and praise your name, may it flow out from somewhere deep inside me, not going through the motions, not raising my hands because somebody told me to, or clapping along because it was in the music, Lord, but may it may it not be able to be contained because we're so full of your grace and your goodness. And Lord, I pray right now for anybody here who needs to settle this thing today. Lord, would you give them the courage and the faith to pray? Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come and live your life in me. I turn from my sin and my selfishness to you with all my heart. I want to follow you and live for you from this moment on. God, I believe you hear and answer that prayer when we pray it and mean it. And for all of us who are followers of yours, we choose you. We choose life. We choose joy in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen.